Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, where he will save his people from their sins. Now, as Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, he does it in a way that we're not used to. It seems like we're used to hearing the story from Luke, who goes through the whole thing, right? The normal Christmas pageant thing. He, he starts with John the Baptist predicting. Then he tells about the prophecy of the birth of Jesus. Then he tells the story of the birth of John the Baptist. And only then gets to the birth of Jesus. And when Luke tells it, he tells it in the way that we've always heard it. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And then there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. That's the way we know the story. And if it's good enough for a Charlie Brown Christmas, it ought to be good enough for us, right? Matthew, on the other hand, gets his hands on this story and basically says, now listen, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Mary got pregnant. Joseph knew it wasn't his and he was going to divorce her. But then an angel came to Joseph and said, stick it out. She'll bear a son and you are to name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And then comes the most heartbreaking part, because when it comes time for no room at the inn and the shepherds watching their flocks by night, all Matthew has to say is this. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. That's it. No flowery language, no setting the stage, nothing. Matthew's philosophy seems to be, why say it in a thousand words when you can say it in a hundred? You see, Matthew's my kind of writer. This is how I did it. All through school, I would write exactly to the minimum required length of every essay. And sometimes you have to pad it out, add a couple of paragraphs just to get to the minimum. I would have said everything that I wanted to say in exactly the way that I wanted to say it, and I'd find myself just pushing up to the minimum required length. But I swear, I'd make my point every time. And that's just what Matthew is doing when he tells the story in his way of Jesus' birth. Matthew is all about the point, how the shepherds felt when the angels appeared to them as nice. And I've actually preached a whole sermon on that very thing. And the angels' words of comfort to those shepherds are beautiful. But to Matthew, they're not the point. The fact that there's no room in the inn or that Jesus is born in a manger is telling. 
and a foreshadowing of his future rejection and of the good news that God can bring amazing things from humble places. But also, not the point. Matthew is trying to get one point across in his telling of Jesus' Jesus's incarnation. He's laser-focused. You'll have to come back to church on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning to hear the flowery language. Then it'll all be swaddling clothes and singing angels. Today, it's utilitarian in the extreme. Joseph didn't have marital relations with his wife until she had the baby, who they called Jesus, period. Nothing to take away from what Matthew really wants us to hear. The child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The point that Matthew is making here, the point that he is laser-focused on, is only the most important thing of all time. When the angel tells Joseph that he doesn't have to be afraid, he says that this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit and comes to do one thing, to save his people from their sins. Do not be afraid. This child, who you will name Jesus, has come to save his people from their sins. Matthew wants to get Jesus' job description clear right from the very beginning. When Jesus, what Jesus is going to do is more important than anything about any of the circumstances surrounding his birth. Matthew doesn't have time for anything else except to tell you and me and everyone that Jesus is coming to save. That's it. It's funny that in the intervening years, we've come up with all sorts of other things that Jesus is. Healer, lover, unifier, friend. I've seen trucker hats that say, Jesus is my homeboy. But Jesus is Savior. Period. Anything else he is, and he is all of those other things, are byproducts of his saving work. Now, I realize that this isn't the thing that we traditionally hear around Christmas. You might be saying to yourself, Jesus isn't Savior until Holy Week. Please, can't you give me a break from all that? Talk about the cute baby and how he came to show everyone in the world how to love each other. But today's an interesting Sunday. Sure, it's Advent 4, and we're only a week away from Christmas morning, but this morning we're also celebrating a baptism. And at first, a baptism so close to Christmas seems incongruous. The language and imagery that we just heard about is all death and resurrection. And Christmas is all about silent night and no crying he makes, right? But not this week. It's actually perfect that Henry is baptized today, the fourth Sunday of Advent. Remember when J.D. was saying the Thanksgiving over the water? He said, we thank you, almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. 
Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. The child who you will name Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. The Jesus we praise God for at baptism isn't so much the babe lying in the manger. The Jesus of baptism is the Jesus of the crown of thorns, the nails in his palms, and the empty tomb. It's not as much the Jesus of the incarnation as it is the Jesus of the cross and resurrection. Yes, Jesus came at Christmas, but Jesus came to die and rise again. This is the very first thing that Joseph learns about the child who will become his son. He's coming to save people from their sins. And he'll do it by death and resurrection. Exactly what we celebrated as we baptized Henry this morning. The angel doesn't tell Joseph that Jesus is coming to lead them or to teach them or even coming to love and comfort them, but to save them to die for them. And this is what St. John is talking about when he says in his revelation that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was always the plan. You see, the Easter story isn't a story about God making the best out of a bad situation. The Easter story is a plan working to perfection and an ultimate triumph And it's a plan whose phase one starts at Christmas. So the next time you come to church, it'll be to celebrate the implementation of a plan that was put into place at the beginning of time. But for now, we can take comfort in the words of the angel to Joseph to celebrate the same good news for us, every single one of us, that we celebrated for Henry this morning. Into this sinful world, a Savior has come, and his name is Jesus. Amen.